Dr. Dennis Perman could be described as a nice guy with a lot of great ideas, but you'd be missing a lot. He is a chiropractic coach and the co-founder of Master Circle Global, which offers chiropractic coaching, chiropractic practice management, and much more. One of the first master trainers for Tony Robbins. Today, Dennis will tell us about his original concepts of capacity technology and identity-based consulting. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, so I am here today with my good old friend, Dennis. How's it going, Dennis? Oh, it's going swell, Doug. It's going it swell. I'm um, very flattered that oh you Oh, my God, it's such a pleasure today. to have you and such a really, it's an, it's an honor to have you here. You have accomplished so much in life, not the least of it. Did you just <laughs> tell me before we got on, on air that you are publishing a book that's like 250 pages of songs you've written? <laughs> yeah, yeah please. Okay. Well, um, you know, uh, all of us, you get to a certain age and you look back over many different um, uh, chapters of your life. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've been happily married uh, with the same woman for now over 50 years. Uh, I have work that I really enjoy. I've got three healthy, wonderful children that have families of their own. Uh, so uh, you look back over the chapters of your life and you think, okay, well, what, what, did I, what did I trade this life in for? What, what, what have I used my time to accomplish? And, of course, we have many different talents. Uh, you're, you're, in addition to your amazing skills in coaching and hypnosis, you're also a musician. You also um, operate a tractor, <laughs> I now yeah. learn. I, I had no idea. It's not exactly the image I had of you in the past that you're sitting on a tractor, yeah. but, yeah. okay, you know what? That's, that's how we grow, by stretching ourselves. <laughs> Um, so I actually played music professionally for many years. I, um, helped to put myself through chiropractic college wow. performing. And uh, prior to that, I was in rock bands and in college, I had a, a partner, Mitch Clarvet, who, uh, we to this day have maintained a tremendous friendship. And one of the things you learn in coaching is that relationships are immensely valuable. One of the most important things that you can do is generate relationships with people. And some of them are relationships with um, significant others that you and I both have an amazing experience with. Some is with um, fellow professionals like you and I getting the opportunity to have this kind of conversation. And of course, the relationship you have with the, your clientele is critically important. We'll get into talking about relationship theory later, I'm sure. But anyway, my relationship with my partner, Mitchell, um, goes back now, as I said, 50 years. I actually met him before I met my uh -huh. wife, Regina. So in, in September of 1970, on the park benches uh, outside the snack bar at Johns Hopkins University, I saw this weird guy with long hair. I don't remember, it was 1970, <laughs> yeah. so long hair was, uh, was completely yeah. appropriate at the time. Um, banging on a guitar. And I said, hey, I play guitar too. He said, really? Why don't you get your guitar and we'll jam? And that was the beginning of this relationship. So, uh, yeah, I put together a, an anthology of our best lyrics over the last 50 years called The Rock Poetry of Perman Clarvet, a 50-year retrospect. So it's, as I was, I was telling you before, I, I 
uh, I enjoy the printed word as much as I do the spoken word. In fact, if you add up my seven books and my hundreds of newsletters and my thousands of online columns, I'm pretty sure I'm about a million oh, words in print or something like that. So it's, you think, you think I'd be better after all. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that out loud, but yeah, I think. <laughs> well, you need to. I, I do. You know, uh, I, I, one of the greatest things about being a coach is the ongoing drive to become better yourself. You see, I have the privilege of coaching not only people who are in dire need, but many very successful people. Um, my, my coaching work is primarily with um, professionals, especially chiropractors, doctors of chiropractic. I have other wellness professionals I coach as well. Um, but uh, it's a multifaceted way to, uh, to, to, to practice coaching because they obviously need business coaching. But they all need relationship and leadership coaching, and they all need communications coaching, and they all need financial coaching. So it becomes this um, tangled web of extraordinary opportunities to be of service to people. And it's what appeals to me most about the coaching world is that I will never be bored one minute for the rest of my life because I'm always either with somebody or by myself. Well, that's a pretty um, low bar to set right there. But yes, <laughs> if, if that's what makes you happy, then well, you'll never be bored. That's for sure. That. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's like you may remember, um, uh, we go back to Tony yes, Robbins days, you know, 30 plus years ago, um, where Tony was talking about um, evidence procedures, about criteria, about how you know you're having a good day or something like that. And he called on one Yahoo and the guy said, well, he said, I got to get out of bed at 530 and exercise for two hours. And then I, I've got to meditate and then I've got to pray. And then I, I and my body weight has to be like no more than 3%. And he had this long list of criteria for having a great day. Well, Tony said, is there anybody who has like an easier way to get into a great day? And this trainer, Larry Duran, stood up and said, yeah, Tony. He said, if I look down and I see the ground, I know it's going to be a great day because every day above ground is a great day. <laughs> so, yeah. You're talking about me setting the bar low. I yeah. do it deliberately so that I always have the greatest that, day yes, possible. I've, I've thought many times about that experience. Every day above ground is a great day. <laughs> Dennis Perman, yes, you have been a friend of mine since like 1985 when we were both back in the days. I was the other a few podcasts ago, a few, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Skip, Skip Lackey. Oh, Skip. I know, amazing guy. And, um, yes, he, like us, have been a New York City, you know, firewalkers since those days. And you come from, I think you did it actually before me. I think you were at the like chiropractic. Wasn't there? Wasn't your first firewalk the chiropractic firewalk? Yeah. Uh, what, what had happened was Tony came in as a guest speaker, and he uh, blew the walls out. I mean, he was it was yeah, like nothing I've ever seen before. For uh, Marks and Management, which was the company that is the precursor of the company that uh -huh. I now own, Larry was my coach at the time. So this is a this chiropractic is, again, consulting company. Yeah, there's a chiropractic coaching consulting firm. Well, Marks and Management evolved into the Masters, evolved into the Master Circle, evolved into the Master Circle Global, which it is now. Larry is long retired, and my partner is Dr. Bob Hoffman. Sure. We work together to um, coach many chiropractors. Well, uh, in our heyday, we had as many as a thousand offices. Thousand I mean, offices. It was a, it was a, yeah, it was a pretty wow. extraordinary place. 
Um, well, those were not offices that we owned. Those were a thousand member offices that we had a thousand okay. doctors that right. we were serving. Um, well, the law of the few, the law of the many for those Malcolm Gladwell fans, there was no way we could sustain the weight of that. Uh, so it actually exploded into about 10 pieces and everybody took their pound of flesh. So Bob and I have a smaller consulting company now uh, where we get to coach you know, a couple hundred chiropractors, but it's it's more to our liking because instead of all of our time being eaten up running a large corporation, we now are in the trenches serving patients and doctors, which is really what nice, we always wanted nice, to do in yeah. the first place. So it's not a, it's not a weenie company; it's a good company, but it's not what it, it's not what it was 15 right. years ago uh, when it was just the the biggest thing anybody. So what, one of the reasons I started this podcast is um, I'm, I've been a coach for a long time, and I've, I learned coaching from a guy named Thomas Leonard a long time ago, and Yes, Coach What's you. That? Yeah, yeah, Coach yeah. you, one Absolutely. of the greatest and, um, and I'm aware that there are, there's, the profession has grown a great deal. There's a lot of coaches, a lot of places you can learn coaching, a lot of different types of coaching. One of the things that Thomas Leonard emphasized back in the day was that um, coaching is not consulting. You know, coaching mm-hmm. is not consulting. That you can be a consultant if, for instance, you are as you are a great chiropractor and you've done a su- mm-hmm. created a successful business of your own in the chiropractic world. That you can consult with other chiropractors to help them, you know, sort out their business to, to make it successful as well. What to you is the difference between um, you know, chiropractic consulting and chiropractic coaching? Yeah, I, uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a, a, a bold distinction that many people who consider themselves coaches miss. Consulting is about downloading information. It's about teaching and educating and giving people pieces of the puzzle. Coaching is about discovery. It's about asking questions and pointing at things and inviting people to mm-hmm. notice them. So, so for me, the coaching process is far more uh, interesting because when I'm just downloading information, I even bore myself. It's like, really? And, I, and look, over 40 years of doing this, I've accumulated a whole lot of information. If you want to see, I, I mean, all these books and columns and all this stuff that I've done, I have tons of information. But there's nothing as juicy as having the experience of pointing at something, having somebody notice it for the first time, and then rooting them on as they take it and run with it and make a huge difference in their lives and the lives of people they serve. So for me... Um, consulting is a is basically an outflow where coaching is a joint right. flow. It's where we work together to create something. And I try desperately not to be the source of the most important content. Now, this gets back to our, our training years ago in NLP and the meta model, recognizing that when you work content free, you give somebody the opportunity to expose and exploit their own creativity. Well, let me just stop you there, Dennis, because um, that, that concept I was just talking about with some friends actually earlier today. Um, what do you mean specifically by content-free? How, how, how is it content-free? What do you mean by that? Yes. Um, if I ask a question, um, what would it take for you to make a million dollars next year? Mm-hmm. Then that's an inviting question, but I'm leading the person by saying, I expect them to meet my standard of a million dollar practice. If I said, what would you consider a successful income in your practice? Now I'm leaving a space for them to be able to develop 
based on where they are right now and what their dream is, what might be most appropriate for them. Some people will be bowled away by the idea of a million dollar practice. Others are like, why oh, okay. only a million? So when you say content so free, I don't want not, to imprison it with When you say content free, it means that you're not supplying content to their their envisioning of whether it's going to be. Okay. Go yes. On. You know, well, look, I mean, the, the classic question is, how, how is it possible that he is doing that? You know, I mean, that leaves all the content out. Now, coaching, if you're going to ask good questions, then you have to pick and choose your times to introduce any content. I have loads of sure. content. For example, um, I believe that growth is based on two critical factors, the ability to generate capacity, room to grow, and the ability to generate attraction to fill your capacity. So growth for my doctors is about building capacity. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into the technology of that as we go forward and then filling that with attraction and then building more capacity and filling that with attraction and keeping on doing that process of building and filling until you reach the level that you want to be at. Now, I can't imprison the people I work with by expecting them to think like me, act like me, have my beliefs, have my distinctions, have my values, have my experiences. They don't. They simply don't. So I have to work with what they have. Now, you know, in NLP, we learn that people do the best they can with the resources mm -hmm. they have available. And most people concentrate on the word resources, and I do too. But the real operative word in that, in that, in that tenet is available. Because everybody has loads of resources to work with that are not mm, currently yeah. available because they haven't learned how to extract right. them and apply right. them in specific right. Right. contexts. Exactly. So our job is then to help them get, a, get available, get access to the resources that they have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I developed loads of technology for doing that, as I know you have. Um, some take a more hypnotic route. Some take a more metaphysical route. Some take a more clinical route. It doesn't matter because all roads lead mm -hmm. to Rome on that. If you gain, if, if you help people understand that they are not broken, they don't need to be fixed, that they have what they need to be successful, just that by itself is revolutionary yeah. for most people. Haven't you right, noticed that as well? Yeah, and that is one of the beautiful things about NLP is it, it taught us those sort of basic presuppositions about human beings and, and availability. And that presupposition of people do the best they can with the resources they have is not only a belief that is useful as a coach to have or as a therapist to have or as a human being to have. But yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It is when you're looking at it from a business perspective, it's like, yeah, those are the resources I have available. How do I get access to more resources to expand that capacity to have more attraction to do those things that you're talking about? It's brilliant. Indeed. So for me, resources fall into okay. two categories. One is totally self-contained. I call those states. And from NLP, you know, that's what you're doing mm -hmm. with your mind and body. So confidence and motivation and focus and self-discipline and happiness, those are, those are all inside out. But some resources require an engagement of the external. You have to be, have mm. some training or you have to get some information or you have to have somebody else involved. I call those skills or roles. So I have different technology for developing states than I do for, uh, for developing mm -hmm. skills and roles. And this way, as I can start to identify the map of the person's identity, what they really need to gain access to in order to be a fully self-actualized version of themselves, that directs me toward the technology that I use. What separates my company from all the other companies that purport to be like it is that we are identity-based. In other words, we believe that who you are determines how well what you do works, that success comes from you, not to you. 
And this is a revolution in our field. I know it exists in yours and in others, but in our field, it's it's primarily strategy based. Here's how you get new patients. And here's how you do a report of findings. And here's how you manage your money. We do all those things. But the thing is, depending on what resources you have available, depending on what your self-concept is, what your identity is, that's going to determine how well you can integrate these various ideas. So the reason our company is so special is because we combine the strategy-based approach with an expansive identity-based approach. And it's been very successful. That's, I think, amazingly great because it is the combination. It's not one or the other, I don't think. You know, it's curious. When when we were at Tony Robbins a number of years ago, I was talking about this earlier again. Um, I was, I remember uh, Stephen Covey's visit to to one of the master master university evenings, and um, Stephen Covey's whole thing was was his first book. Ironically, his first book was called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is the first book that I know of, uh, and the yes, second yeah. book was called First Things First. And thinking, shouldn't you have written that second book? <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, really good ideas. And um, one of the things, one of the points that he made when he was writing Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is he studied like years, decades, centuries worth of self-help things, self-help books, and, and yeah. discovered that for a long time, self-help was not about strategies at all. It was about character. It's about character, mm-hmm. like Benjamin Franklin's, you know, s- 13 virtues. It's about building the character. If you build mm-hmm. yourself into a, you know, a superior man, according to, to Franklin, then, you know, success would flow to you. Later on, after I think it was probably um, Think and Grow Rich or something, it started, yeah. Napoleon Hill, yeah. yeah it started was, to become more about strategy-based. And so you got to, how to, how to win friends and influence people, how to, you know, do these different things. And, and, and it became that strategy-based thing. But what you're talking about is, in a sense, it's doing both. You know, having it, it is. It, it, it's a fusion because being without doing is fantasy. Doing without being oh, is drudgery. Nice. So, so the key that's, is, is that a Dennis Perman? Is that a? I just read it up on the spot, actually. That's yeah, great. That's, that's, that's a that's bumper sure sticker worthy. That is. Can you say that again? Because I'm going I I could I I would have liked to. Please try. Yeah, I said identity. I, I said being without doing is fantasy, and doing without being is drudgery. Right. Okay. You know, so uh, you, you know, you inspire me, O'Brien. <laughs> what can I say? You bring out the best of me. You always have. <laughs> yes, that's so, that's so anyway, the the idea is to flavor this so that you have the right amount of being and the right amount of doing, because that's what creates the right amount of having. Right. You see, and I have, I have. Um, I've developed uh, lengthy talks on this, which I'm not going to go too deeply into right now. But you see, studying capacity, it helps you to understand some very simply understood concepts. Um, the first of which is just that you can't get nine ounces into an eight ounce glass. <laughs> now, if you're expecting me to say something deep, I'm not. <laughs> That's just it. You can't get nine ounces into an eight ounce glass. Now, you can get two ounces into it or four or six or even 7.9. But once you get to eight ounces, no more room. Now you face a crossroads there. You can take some of what's in the glass out and put some new stuff in. And that's what Mm -hmm. most people do. Mm -hmm. Or you can get a bigger glass. You see, you're not locked into eight ounces. It's just a metaphor. So the key is if you can't get nine ounces into an eight ounce glass, how does that actually work? Well, the first thing you need to know is that there's only two kinds of things in the world. 
There's the things you can do something about, and there's the things you can't do nothing about. And it's the height of insanity to put energy and focus and time and attention and effort into things you can't yeah. do anything about. And yet, how many people are spending all their time worried about the weather, about the government, about what the banks are going to do, about what organized health yeah. is going to do? I mean, it's it's just it, it's it's a it's a total waste of time and energy. If we can learn to stay focused on the things that we can actually do something about, then at the very least, we fill our eight ounces with something nice. worthwhile. Now, that brings up the second key, which is that you can only grow as great as your weaker areas permit. Now, this is counterintuitive. Most people who teach success say, well, you can't be good at everything, so max out your strengths. I disagree. Maxing out your strengths is guaranteed to bang your head against eight ounces every time because all you can get to is what your strengths now demonstrate. The moment you begin to work on your weaker areas, I don't call them weaknesses because they may not be weaknesses. They may only be weaker by comparison <laughs> to your strengths. When you build your weaker areas, your strengths can take you that much farther. The metaphor I use for that is driving a car. When you put your foot down on the gas, you go. If you put your foot down on the brake, you stop. But what happens if you put your foot down on the gas <laughs> and the brake at the same time? You stop. You may lurch around a little bit if you gun the gas against the brake, but you're not going anywhere until you take your foot up off the brake. The moment you do, the gentlest pressure on the accelerator takes you forward. So the key here is to recognize that the weaker areas are there as guideposts to help you understand where you need to develop yourself. That's where coaching mm -hmm. comes in because most people um, have blind spots when it comes to these weaker areas. They're so consumed with trying to play their strengths. And it's not that they shouldn't play their strengths. You must play your strengths. But your strengths will take you farther if you develop your weaker areas. I used to be rotten at time management. Uh, Doug, by the way, did, did, I, did I call exactly at the As time As a matter of fact, you too? did, Dennis. Exactly, on the minute. That's because now, as a reformed time abuser, when I don't manage my time effectively, it causes physical wow. pain. And I don't like physical no. pain much. So for me, time management was a weaker area. I had to learn to develop it, and I have scads of tools on how to develop it. But the fact of the matter is, not only did I get better at time management, but all my other strengths got mm. better because it was not encumbered by my foot on the brake of okay, time gotcha. management. So, so, you know, this is this is a big chunk of my coaching. Now, if all you do is work on weaker areas, though, people start to feel like a big bag of weaker areas and they get unhappy. So you have to make sure when you coach to point out the victories and to celebrate them as well as pointing out the, uh, the growing edges. Because if you fail to do so, then people will grow from your coaching, but they won't like you very much. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I'm insecure enough, and I would I would venture a guess that you might feel the same way. That I want the people I work with to like me as well as respect. Yeah, no, it's nice to have both. I mean, clearly the respect and, and uh, uh, feeling the value of it is what they're paying me for. But I'd like to be liked as well, certainly. Um, this is great, Dennis. My goodness gracious, this is you're 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 the kind of guest that I love having on here. I just go like, "Hey, how are you?" And then I just click back. <laughs> Let's sit back and listen. Remember, I, I've, I've logged 40,000 hours on the phone talking to people doing this. So if if I run out of material in this kind of a class, shoot me now and get it over with, you know? <laughs> you know, just, just as an aside, you know, because um, we, yes, people could read your things. And we, there's lots of material and stuff on you, but just, just uh, reminiscing a bit, 
you know, when I first started doing NLP trainings by myself in New York City, um, I re- recognized the value of things. W- when we used to go to Tony Robbins's mastery or even a certification course, first NLP certification course we did, I think we were at the same one. Um, you know, Tony had 15 days of teaching NLP and had all these different people, but he also brought in Richard Bandler. He also brought in Robert Diltz. Yeah. He also brought in Dave Dobson. Yeah. He also brought in all these different people who were very different from him. And mm-hmm. it was able to, you know, see these differences and, and how valuable they they were. I mean, Richard Bandler is nothing like Tony Robbins, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and yet, wow, you know, amazing stuff that he does with, with Tony's technology too. It's amazing how he learned it so quick. And because um, we used to call it Tony's company. My, my, my favorite Bandler video is, and you know what a master of tonality he is and modulation. Uh, he's, he's sitting at the front of the room and he says, so everybody make sure not to um, go into a trance. And you hear a coffee cup fall <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tony was obviously more balls out. Richard is more mysterious and, and bizarre. Um, but, you know, um, personal change technology is not a thing. It's a, it's a concept, it's, it's a conceptual opportunity. So you may do it differently from the way I do it. I may do it differently from the way Tony does it. He does it differently from the way Richard does it. But the outcome is to help people explore yeah, their greatness. Yeah. People may not language it that way. I do because I spend a lot of time on stage. I got to do glitzy stuff that, you know, that, that sounds glorious. But really, in essence, that's what we're doing as coaches is helping people to, to appreciate and to explore yeah, their own greatness. Yeah. I've never met a single, I've never met a single client doctor or otherwise, who didn't have much more to offer than they were currently expressing. Oh, my goodness. experience, too? Yes, absolutely. So I just wanted to say when I first started doing my own trainings in New York City, I I appreciated the value of having those different voices coming in. And so I I brought you and others in to do training, you know, do an afternoon or whatever for me in those trainings. And that was just an amazing thing. I mean, the, the value that you bring when you do teaching, when you do coaching is, is just so amazing. And that wasn't just me who recognized you did that for Tony too, right? After I left, after 1995, when I exited the, the Robbins world, um, you continued on. Did you not? You were training trainers you were training- for, for, for a while. Yes. Uh, we, and I think you have um, a rare distinction of leaving the Robbins community on very hmm. good terms. Uh, not everybody does. Um, and I don't fault Tony for that. It's just, you know, he was, he was so intense and so far above most people's level of thinking that it doesn't shock me that not everybody, uh, was able to hang on for all that long. It's like, it's like staring into a bright light. It's like, at first it's like, oh my God, it's such a bright light. And eventually it's like your head starts to hurt. So, you know, for, for Regina and me, we hung around for a while because first we got a, uh, we got a lot out of it. But also, more importantly, we were able to give a lot. And, you know, Regina's pra- she practices to this day, you know, um, uh, as a pediatric physical therapist, um, chasing babies around the floor. You know, she's not a kid anymore. She's doing it 45 years. And yet she's never lost the enthusiasm for helping people. And likewise, me, I, I work 70, 80 hours a week. I'm not a kid. I'm, I'm going to be 68 in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks. And 
the truth is, uh, I, I feel like I'm early in the second mm-hmm. half, you know, I feel like I got a lot of tread left on me. So, um, yeah, the, 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 what I gleaned from Tony was far beyond the, um, technology, much of which I've, you know, moved past and developed my own. Um, it was really more about the idea of personal power. The idea of transforming fear into power, one of his very core original concepts, the idea that everybody has extraordinary potential, but we don't all necessarily know how to to use it or develop it. That's where capacity was born. See, everybody has unlimited potential, but they only gain access to a portion of it. The portion of your potential you currently have access to is your capacity. So that's what gave rise to you can't get nine ounces into an eight ounce glass. That's where the resource builder came from, my habit formation pyramid. If we have time, we can talk about all these things if you like to, but we may not want to get into the weeds of, um, you know, of, of coaching technique. Uh, but uh, suffice it to say that if all you have is a hammer, then all your problems start to look like nails. If you have a vast array of tools then you'll find that you attract people of all different kinds with all different kinds of issues and you get to expand what you have to offer dramatically. So that's how I, I didn't originally know how to do all the things that I do. I discovered them Mm. along the way. The discovery process in the coaching environment goes both ways. Yes. You want to, want to help the person to discover, but I want to discover also. That's what keeps me engaged. Is that your experience as well? And and that's really that's brilliant. And and we I could have you on for a dozen, and I'm sure we would never start stop talking about <laughs> fascinating things. Just in case I don't, however, let me just ask you this: for the people listening, if people are just starting out in coaching, right? They've maybe they've yeah. just taken their first you know coaching certification, they just got their you know coaching certificate or whatever. If they're just starting off in the business. What do you think is yes. like really essential for them to have to know to to you know get them going to have them be you know a good coach? What does a coach have to have? What's an essential coaching skill? Okay, it's a huge and critically important question. For me, the first thing that a coach must uh, must be able to express is service, service consciousness. consciousness. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, because. Too often what happens, especially with people who are very glib and and knowledgeable like yourself and myself, sometimes we fall in love with the sound of our own voices. And it isn't so much about what you say as to what you inspire the person to say to themselves inside their head. So service is the critical key from my point of view. If you go into coaching because you want to, you know, be a star, try show business. That's Mm. where stars are. If you want to be a star coach, the first thing that has to happen is your client needs to know that you care as much about them as they care about themselves. Because in the absence of that, it becomes consulting. You're just downloading stuff right. on them. You see, the coaching experience is always a partnership. It's a shared experience where you help the person to get an awareness of their own greatness by pointing at things that they might not necessarily already mm-hmm. notice. Now, this is this is one of the metaphors that I use, um, the metaphor of the bay. I, I live in a very beautiful home, as, as, as we've spoken about. And right outside my window is this gorgeous bay, Northport Bay. And it's magnificent. There's, you know, there's seabirds in the sky. There's mansions ringing the bay. Um, there's sailboats out. I yeah. mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's idyllic. When I go out and stand on the beach just outside my door, 
I feel this feeling of greatness, this feeling I'm huge. I'm connected to something so big and so powerful. And at the same time, I feel puny, like a grain of sand, like I'm just this little tiny bit of stuff that gets to be a part of this huge continuum of greatness. Well, don't you know, when I turn my attention away from the beach, when I start looking back into the driveway, those feelings start to fade. Well, wait a minute. Why are they fading? Isn't the bay still there? Well, the bay is still there, but it was my focus mm-hmm. that wandered. Yeah. So the yeah. key here is your resources are a lot like the bay. They're there. Everybody has been confident and motivated and focused and disciplined and had good self-esteem and, and good creativity. Everybody's had sure. that somewhere along the line. But you see, if we turn our attention away from that, it feels like it's not there. I look at my job as a coach to reawaken people's awareness of their own qualities. If I can, now look, there are times when you have to work on developing things. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to pretend otherwise. People are not necessarily fully formed in every aspect. That's why they may have their foot on the brake to deal with weaker areas and stuff like that. But the key is they have the raw potential to be able to develop anything. You see athletes who don't have the physical prowess that maybe some other stars might have, and yet they outperform a Wayne Gretzky, mm. for example. You know, you ask Gretzky, I'm not really a hockey guy, I'm a baseball guy, but <clears throat> you ask Gretzky, how come you're so great? And he says, because most people go to where the, where the puck is, I go to where the puck's going to be. Okay, and that sixth sense, that awareness, that helped him to become the greatest mm. of all time. Yeah. Now, we are exactly the same as that. The moment that we feel imprisoned by what we have to currently work with, we're at eight ounces. We're stuck. The moment that we recognize that we can get a bigger glass and we can grow our capacity, then we end up having an open-ended upward spiral that never ends. Now, you know, Doug, we talked about capacity a lot, but we haven't talked about attraction very much. Can we redirect our attention for a moment? So, you know, anybody who's seen The Secret or read the books or, or you know, I mean, the, the law of attraction has been around for a long, long time. <clears throat> but for me, it's actually a very simple thing. If you learn to visualize and affirm, then you have an excellent chance of invoking the law of attraction. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. So one of the things I teach my clients is to develop a powerful morning routine, where every morning they exercise their sense of self by noticing where are they authentic, where are they present, where are they still weaker, what kinds of things might they need to do in order to generate more power. By visualizing and affirming those things, they actually activate them in their own experience. Because, you know, I think it was Maxwell Maltz that said, the subconscious mind can't tell the difference between something real and something vividly imagined. So if you get people to vividly imagine things, your subconscious begins to act as if it is already true. Now, that turned up too high. That can be delusion. You know, uh, Gene Houston said, often our weaknesses are our strengths turned up a little too high. But the, but the issue is you'll know. It's something that it's unavoidable. You'll t- be able to tell when you're trying to push yourself too hard past a certain point. So the rhythm is to build capacity and then to fill it with attraction and then build more capacity and fill that with attraction and then build more capacity and fill that with attraction until you get to the desired level. So I have doctors who have outperformed world records 
They've done things nobody else even imagined possible. Just by using this very simple formula of building capacity and filling it with attraction until they got to the next level. Some people, based on personality, <clears throat> don't appreciate the idea of having any limitations whatsoever, so they keep on building no matter what it is. And there have been some extraordinary results based on that. So I just wanted to make sure to mention the law of attraction. We spent, can you, so can you give us an example of what that morning routine might be? Sure. Um, for me, personally, now remember, I'm doing this a long, long time. So I've developed a personal way of doing this. Um, the first thing I do in the morning is I do um, Michael Gelb's um, um, Qigong movements that reflect Leonardo da Vinci's creative genius principles. Well, everybody knows so that, so let's go are, on to the next thing. I'm just kidding, kidding. What the heck is that? <laughs> what is that? Okay, well, um, since we're not on video, I'm not going to demonstrate the actual <laughs> movements. But but Da Vinci's principles are curiosità. First, you have to be curious about things. Dimostrazione, which is where you inspect and notice the things that are going on around you. Sensazione, where you use your senses to deeply explore what you see. Sfumato, which is understanding the mystery of creativity and looking for that point of light in the darkness. Arte scienza, the fifth principle, which is the fusion of arts and sciences. That's where left and right brain come together. Corporalita, which is physical health. Most people don't realize that da Vinci was the strongest man True. in Venice. He was the fittest man in, in, in really? Italy at the time. And then finally, connessione, which is the interconnectedness of all things. So Gelb, Michael Gelb, I tell you, if, if people want to take one thing away from this to read books by Michael Gelb, okay. they got something. Because Gelb is a mentor of mine. He's a phenomenal human being. And he's one of the world's experts on Da Vinci. He actually learned Italian so he could go back and study Da Vinci's original notebooks in, wow, in the native cool. Italian. And he's the one who called these seven principles. Anyway, the, um, Gelb put together seven Qigong movements that I do each morning to start my day so that I turn on my creative genius. Oh, so let me just stop you there because the I, I, I have studied I um, Qigong. We, we, you and I used to do some push hands together. For, in our, sure, there not. sure um, absolutely. So, so just so people have an idea of what we're talking about, he, Michael Gelb created a, a movement series. Seven uh, postures, seven seven simple movements, each of which exemplifies. Well, they, it's a metaphor. I mean, obviously, if I uh, if I go like this and like this, does that mean curiosity? Well, I'm defining it that it means curiosity. You know, like nothing has any meaning but the meaning we give it, right? <laughs> so, so I use these seven movements to begin my day so that I awaken my creative genius. To gotcha. Creative. And what would be an example of one of Michael Gelb's book? How to think like Leonardo? Oh, gee. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, innovate like Edison. Um, uh, uh, wine drinking for inspired thinking. Um, uh, uh, boy, well, one is, of course, uh, how to think like Leonardo da Vinci, right? Well, right. Exactly. How to think like Leonardo da Vinci. And actually, he and I did a uh, a recording of how to think like Leonardo da Vinci for chiropractic. So we actually took the seven principles and digested them and, and had a, a, a eight hour conversation about them right. and recorded. So, so anyway, Gelb is brilliant. He's an amazing Renaissance man. Um, you know, not too much into idol worship right now, but, uh, he, he is excellent at everything he does. He's a, he's a, 
uh, incredible speaker and author. He's got about a dozen incredible books. He's um, uh, he's a uh, an Aikido okay. master. Let me just let me he's just stop you there. <laughs> so just let me stop you there. So he's cool. Got that down. But um, I want to know about you. So you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the rest yes. of my morning routine. So then I do the three treasures meditation. Again, I learned that from Gelb, where you concentrate um, first on your on your uh, first on your mind, then on your gut, finally on your heart. And there's some movements that you do with those as well. So that's a that's a, a quiet moving meditation that I do. Um, then uh, I do the Tai Chi short form, the Yang wow. short form. And then uh, I finish with a yoga um, exercise I learned from my wife called the breath of joy. Oh. Um, it's a, a very, a very simple exercise. Um, she learned it from, oh, geez, now I'm blanking on the, on the, on the poet's name. This, um, wonderful poet, I'll, I'll have to get it for you. Uh, Dana Folds, that's what it is. Dana Folds, F-A-U-L-D-S, I believe, has written some amazing poetry and she and her husband do, um, presentations on poetry and on, on yoga. So that's so so that's my morning routine. Anyway, um, for most people, something as simple as a simple affirmation: today's going to be a great day. You know, they, you don't need to get into the weeds. You know, I'm I'm four years deep in this kind of stuff, so for me, it takes a lot to get me off. You know, but for a normal person, if you wake up, smile, say today's going to be a great day, stretch overhead, take a few deep breaths. You know what? You started your day off okay, positive. So let me just get me back. So we're what we're talking about here is. The two parts that are required for growth is capacity and then attraction. So and this attraction. is the attraction part. So this is how you bring attraction. Well, this is, this is one. Well, actually morning routine contributes to both, um, to both capacity and attraction. You see, most people, their morning routine is they wake up, they burp, they fart, they go into the bathroom. Hey, you've been watching me. They. I'm right in here. That's scary, man. That's just weird. And then you know they uh, have a, a cup of coffee and a donut. Oh and my god, day. that's incredible. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I, I don't do that. You know, for me, uh, my my morning food, I do a rock and wellness shake with uh, almond milk, bananas, and mm. raspberries. I do immunocal, which is a glutathione precursor that wakes up my brain. And Regina makes a phenomenal vegetable juice with an assortment of vegetables every morning. So that's my morning food. So between my, my morning routine and my morning food, I'm turbocharged to nice. start my day. And you know, you can see I'm an old man, but I still have a lot of energy left. One of the reasons is because I work hard at building as much personal power as I possibly can. Getting back to the basic concept we learned from Tony all those years ago, like recognizing that you have personal power. Is a breakthrough mm. for most people because it just doesn't even come up for most folks. Gotcha. So that's that's really great because you know it's interesting to listen to a person talk about concepts and ideas and stuff, but it's also really interesting to find out how they're how they're actually doing this. How are they actually doing this? I remember watching a um, uh, interview with with the aforementioned author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, and he was yeah. at his house yes. and and then you know. He always talked about you, you, you set an appointment with yourself for a particular thing. And when that time comes, then you exercise integrity in the moment of choice and you 
do the thing you set the appointment for. So he's in the middle of this interview yeah. and it, you know, this little alarm rings and it's two o'clock and it's time to go for a bicycle ride with his wife. He says, well, excuse me, I've got to go for this bicycle ride with my wife. And they get on this bicycle built for two and they, they take this, you know, little <laughs> bike ride back. So they finish the interview later. And, but that's, that's how he lived his life. That's congruent. That's yeah. congruent. And that's how he lived his life. And people who are congruent, Right. They, they, they talk these things, but they walk their talk. They do these things that they're going to be saying. So you get up in the morning and you do these things. You do the things that establish the capacities and the attraction. You, you do those things that are important to be done. Indeed. Well, you know, George Burns said sincerity is the key. <laughs> Once you can take that, you got it made. <laughs> so, so that was George Burns now, was it? <laughs> was it? it was. I heard Tony say that. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not surprised. Got <laughs> <laughs> it. Uh, very good. Very good. Okay. So, um, gee, we got a lot of directions we can go. I, actually, I, it feels like I've been yakking for a long time. I mean, are we done? No, <laughs> man. We can start it. Um, no, we can. We can stop anytime you want, my friend. You are. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I, I cleared the time, so I, I just don't oh, want to bore your listeners. I don't think that's going to be a possibility. Okay. <laughs> so, so if people get one thing out of this thing, Michael Gelb's book, that'd be great. But we want more than just one thing. Um, I've gotten so much out of this concept of the capacity and the attraction, and I just want to make sure that I can leave and, and know this. And in fairness, because this is the Essential Coaching Skills podcast, um, one of the questions I often ask my guests as well is if you want to be successful in business, what would be an essential skill? Now, I will say this about you. Um, one of the challenges that sometimes people have is that they have trouble, let's just say, challenge, um, defining a niche for themselves. You know, because obviously NLP, as an example, works for everybody who has a brain. It'll work for anybody who has a brain. So people put themselves out as an NLP coach. So I can fix anything. It's like, that's not finding a niche and that's not going to work very well from a marketing perspective. <clears throat> Same thing with a lot of coaching. Coaching works. That's it. That's the statement. Coaching works. It, it'll work for anybody. But you starting off from the, uh, your business as a chiropractor in the chiropractic consulting businesses, you know, to find your niche very early on. And you became not only just a mm -hmm. consultant for, for, for chiropractors, but also then a coach for chiropractors. And it's really you, you coach other people. But that often happens yeah. when people have a niche, you know, they coach other people outside the niche, but the niche also yes. gives you power, doesn't it? It does. So um, I, I want to make sure that uh, as we talk about niches, we're not talking about okay. pigeonholes. Because too often what happens is, well, you've made reference to it yourself. Opportunities come up for additional growth beyond the specific definition. Now, the story that comes up for me on this, uh, one of my mentors in chiropractic is a guy named Guy Reekman. Um, Guy has been president of several chiropractic colleges. He um, created one of the um, most influential um, philosophical organizations in the very beginning of my career, Renaissance. Um, and um, Guy... Uh, at one point backed away from all this stuff. He just got burnt out and he went to hang out on the beach for a couple of years. And while he was there, he met some really influential people who were also burnt out and wanted to, you know, come to the beach to hang out for a while. And he jokes, he says, you think you could get tired of the beach, but you can't. It was two years later. We weren't tired of the beach. It was nice to be there every day. 
He said, but he said, we wanted to grow and we all had a lot of money. So we figured let's get really cool people to come in and do private workshops for our group. And they did that. They brought in all kinds of interesting, cool people to, to teach them what they wanted to, to hear about. Well, the marketing at the time, the marketing experts, the people who were at the top of the game were um, uh, Al Reese mm-hmm. and Jack Trout. And, uh, and they're still around. They're still major players in every imaginable way. But um, Guy contacted them and said, we want you to come and do a workshop for us. It's a weekend workshop willing to pay you $40,000. I'd be there, wouldn't you? I'd bring you along. Well, they declined. They declined. And got, no, wasn't that at all. Guy said, you decline? Why would you decline? And their answer was, we don't see how coming to your group furthers our purpose. So you see, when you're talking about developing a niche, what's more important than the niche is the purpose. It's Mm. the why. Now, if your niche is supportive of your purpose, you're made in the shade. But if you select a niche that's just off or even very off of your purpose, prepare for pain because you will have some. So the way I look at it, I look at niches as guideposts more than um, more than shackles. I don't want to be limited to just the chiropractor. Right now, I'm in the process of putting together a program um, for acupuncturists. And I've been teaching brain tap therapists, people who are using uh, Patrick Porter's brain tap technology. And I even have a couple of private clients I, I counsel in relationships. I'm not wild about depression and anxiety these days because, you know, you get to a point that it's just it bums you out. It's like, who wants to do that? But but even so, I have one, one lady who I work with, who I've been working with for 25 years. <laughs> if, I was a better, if I was a better therapist, maybe she'd be better. But But the point is, I never wanted to feel like people are like, oh, that guy's a chiropractic coach. Even though that's an accurate, that's an accurate description of one of my roles. So we got to be very careful about being, you know, they say get rich in your niche. I say you get rich by developing sufficient capacity and attraction. See, and if that involves being in a niche, great. But, you know, um, what's Bill Gates' niche? Mm. You know, what was Steve Jobs' niche? You know, they had such lofty and grand expectations of themselves that it, they, yes, they had things that they did that they were more their primary concerns, but they branched out into so many areas because their niche, quote unquote, led to more expansive opportunities. And that's the making sure that we, yes, choose a focus, but don't feel imprisoned by it because sometimes it leads you to something that's even different and better. You know, uh, I would never have even thought of writing this um, book of song lyrics if I wasn't a songwriter for the last 50 years. Yeah, right. And it never occurred to me to write a book. I mean, songs are your right, play right, the right. songs, you know? Well, write a book of song lyrics? That's kind of weird. And yet the poetry of the lyrics stood on its own even without the, without the, the, the instrumentation yeah. and the melody. So if I had only planned on being a songwriter, I never would have gotten to write a book of write uh, put together a book of song lyrics. So we just got to be careful about being in a niche, 
Yes, you can. You know, it's like stronger areas. It's like strengths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah. You know, your niche is your strength, okay? But your weaker areas are where growth lives. Pleasure lives in your strengths, but growth lives in your weaker areas. So when you observe, wow, you know, I'm not very good at this. One of the reasons I have a very physical morning routine is because I'm not a very physical Uh person. I'm really more of a, you know, thought guy, you know, and a gut instinct guy. I built the morning routine of physicality because I recognize it as a weaker area for myself. And not only have I, not only has it made my, my strengths stronger, but I've also learned to really enjoy it. Something that, you know, I, uh, 10 years ago, I would never have believed I could enjoy a physical morning routine. My morning routine back then was sitting quietly and meditating and breathing and visualizing and imagining my own great experiences. It's like, well, that's fun, but it gets boring after a while. Now I move around a little bit. It's twice as cool. So anyway. We have to we have to learn to go beyond our self concept. That's really what growth is: learning to go beyond. Oh gosh, Dennis, thank you. This has been an incredible, incredible. Um, God, it's been an hour. It's amazing to me. Um, <laughs> it went pretty quick, didn't it? It's like, <laughs> hey, how are you? What? Wait, where'd you go? It's over. That's crazy. Um, it's so good to see you again. Great, to, great to hear your voice, and great. Thank you so much for all that you've shared with us. And hopefully, maybe I could get you back here sometime. Um, it's listen. It's my great pleasure. Um, you know, Tony taught me a long time ago that there are four kinds of leadership, four levels of leadership. First, just to be able to lead yourself, and truthfully, most people never even really get there. Second, to be able to lead someone else. Third, to be able to lead a group. But the highest form of leadership is to be able to lead without being physically present. That your ideas and your and your your vibrations and your um, what you leave when you're not there is something that influences people. So you give me this great opportunity to share what I've learned with people I may never get to may never get to meet personally, but I look at it as a tremendous gift that you've given me the opportunity to lead without being physically present. So I certainly Thank hope you. that unlike Reese and Trout, you found this consistent and congruent with your purpose. Right. Indeed, and you didn't even have to pay me, <laughs> which is the best thing of all. <laughs> all right dennis thank you well it really has been a pleasure doug and you know um having followed your career over the last 35 years also uh i'm immensely proud of the influence that you have on so many people so many thought leaders look at you as an influencer Um, so many clients have had their lives changed altered indelibly and their destiny changed forever because of the amazing contribution you've made to them so if anything i do helps you in your quest believe me that's uh that's that's better fantastic thank you dennis that's really that's that's great thank you one last quick question and really if, if somebody wants to get hold of you how do they do that? Where where do they find it? Yes. Well, um, I work, uh, my company is called the Master Circle Global. So any chiropractors listening or, or health professionals that are looking for coaching, uh, they can call 800-451-4514. Or my, my email is Dennis, two N's, D-E-N-N-I-S, at the Master's Circle. That's the Master's, M-A-S-T-E-R-S, Circle, C-I-R-C-L-E. Dot net, not dot com, dot net. Thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. 
If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.